people have come to associate their smartphone with a kind of entertaining and fun experience. And so it doesn't mean that other experiences don't work on mobile, but we think a shopping experience that works on mobile is going to end up being pretty fun as well, not just a utility type experience. And so I think that those are the two paradigms that I think are really important. One is like the push-based versus search, and the other is just fun. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Pod. I'm thrilled today to have joining me Andrew Blackman, who's the president of Top Hatter. And uh, what really grabbed my attention about Top Hatter is that they're really trying to bring fun, entertainment, and this notion of treasure hunting to the digital realm. So during our conversation today, Andrew and I got to talk a little bit about the Top Hatter business, the inspiration behind their customer experience, and why mobile is so critical to not just engaging consumers, but getting them to come back to their platform time and time again. We also dig into just some general retail trends and topics. So in addition to hearing about a new cool business, doing some really fascinating things from an experience standpoint, you may get a few ideas for how to improve your online shopping experience as well. Andrew, thanks so much for uh, being on the show. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, to kick things off, let's give our listeners a little bit of context. Why don't you share a little bit about yourself and more importantly, the work you do with Top Hatter? Sure. Um, well, my name is Andrew Blackman. I'm the president of Top Hatter. I've been you know, with Top Hatter since we launched almost nine years ago now. And my responsibilities really kind of run the gamut, but mostly focused today on our strategy and, and partnerships and how we can expand what we're doing and, and grow faster. Many people haven't heard of us, but we've actually grown pretty fast over the last nine years to a pretty sizable business here in the U.S., and we're looking to expand. So my, my focus is on figuring out how we can grow even faster over the next period of time. That's great. So why don't you dig into a little bit about Top Hatter, your positioning, I guess, in, in the retail slash consumer market. I think it'll be good so our listeners understand from a business perspective and, and an e-commerce experience perspective, especially where, where your head is at and you know how you're kind of looking at the landscape right now. Sure. Yeah. So Top Hatter, you know, we've been around for, as I mentioned, for about nine years. We're, we've been focused on a few things, though, that make us pretty different in terms of e-commerce. One is we've focused almost entirely on a mobile experience. Um, and the other is we focused almost entirely on a discovery experience. And, and what that means is essentially that people that shop it on Top Hatter don't come looking for a specific item most of the time and don't come to try to you know search for an item and, and get it delivered the next day. They're, they're coming more for the entertainment and discovery that they used to go to a shopping mall for, or they used to you know watch home shopping for to discover new stuff and almost be entertained in the process. And so we view the world of e-commerce really as having shifted a lot of buying behavior online. So you know what you want in the traditional, in the in the olden days, you used to go to Walmart or a mall and, and find it and get it, bring it home with you. Now you go to Amazon and you can shop for it and find it immediately and have it delivered. But that universe of things that you don't know that you want really hasn't been solved by 
e-commerce and by digital. And that's where we've focused all of our effort. And so we're all about discovery, all about entertainment. You open the app and you'll see new things all the time. We have kind of a fun and different quirky format that involves bidding on items. And so it's really it's really a shopping experience, not a buying experience. And that's where we think we fit in and we actually where we think the biggest opportunity is going forward because people are spending more time you know, on their devices and in the digital world. And those discovery experiences are also going to move in that direction, just like the utility ones of, of Amazon and, and the like have already. So that's kind of where we fit in. And it's it's pretty fun because it's it's a lot more fun to think about the universe of products that people might be interested in that they don't know about than just figuring out how you can get them something cheaper or faster that they already are aware of. Excellent. So you're really filling that innate need that we have for that entertainment component for shopping, because I I agree. I think the one thing, you know, e-commerce has given us access to so many powerful capabilities, allowing us to get what we want when we want faster than ever. In some cases, it allows us to discover new brands. But I feel like just looking at myself as a consumer, I look through a pretty narrow lens, I would say, unless I I come across something through social advertising or something, I I would say most of my online shopping is around in an already established need. So it seems like your, your business is built around bringing people to the site for the fun or the entertainment value of the shopping experience. And then that bidding experience kind of adds to it. But the discovery is kind of what drives people to engage. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that there's no avoiding the fact that we're selling product or our sellers are selling product direct to consumers. And so consumers care about all the things on Top Header that they care about on other platforms like price and delivery speed and product quality and all those things. But the differentiator for us is the engagement and the entertainment around the experience. And we think, again, if you think about like the world 20, 30 years ago, where people used to go to shopping malls, there was more to it than just going to find exactly what you needed to shop for. There was an entertainment aspect to it as well, which is lost today. And so in some sense, we compete with traditional e-commerce players like Amazon and eBay and others, but we're also competing just for attention with what you might spend your time doing on, on your phone or at your computer. So whether it's being on Facebook or Instagram or you know, reading the news, like we want people to open our app in, in much the same way and engage with it. So it's a, it's a very different paradigm to think about shopping that way. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and you keep going to mobile in your responses, which I find to be very interesting because in our coverage of the industry, so many times e-com was the first step. And then it was like, okay, well, how do we make this mobile optimized or mobile friendly? So they just kind of find like quick turn solutions to make it somewhat easy for people to find what they need to complete that shopping process. But it seems like Top Hatter has built the business with mobile in mind. Was that the case that like mobile, you knew mobile was kind of going to be the underpinning or the core device that people were going to engage with the brand? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't, I don't think it was because we were particularly like prescient. We just know it was easy to look at the numbers and just see how fast mobile was growing and that it was a, a paradigm shift. So when we think specifically about what we're doing with discovery, a lot of it comes down to like how users are interacting with your service and what does it look like. And for us, it really was important to focus on mobile because that's where people were spending the most time and that's where it was growing the fastest. And we thought there was a real need to think differently about the shopping experience on mobile. So people think a lot about the internet and desktops, 
but we we actually look at the world like in a longer lens. So if you think about like some of the discovery shopping experiences that have been really successful, if you think about the like QVC or HSN, which were home shopping discovery experiences built on cable TV, nobody could have imagined those experiences before people had cable TV in all of their homes. And we think the same thing is true for for mobile today. Like you can think about all these kinds of new personalized fun experiences that are going to be enabled because everyone now has a smartphone in their pocket with them all the time. And so when we started, that was definitely a key part of the thesis was trying to figure out what mobile discovery shopping might look like. And it's not to say that we don't have a website. We actually do have a website. You can transact on it. You can find similar products and it's a pretty good experience, but we really focused first on mobile. And our website has been more of a kind of a user acquisition channel for our mobile experience. Um, and also a place that people go to that are that are power users and want to shop even more when they're at you know they're at home or they're on the, they're at work. So it's it's kind of interesting how for us the web complements our mobile experience, not not the other way around. Yeah, that that's really interesting, and I guess it, it's a pretty good transition to my next question for you personally because you have a, a very rich history in you know, the digital world, e-commerce. I want you to kind of share, uh, you know, your, your uh, experience, the other companies that you've worked with, because I really do think it's just a great range of brands, but also speaks to, I think, an interesting transition to retail, because I, I guess my question for you is how your past experiences from a career standpoint have influenced the work that you do with Top Hatter and the type, the type of experience that you are trying to create for your users. Sure. Well, I've always been fascinated by marketplaces in particular. I've spent a lot of time, yeah, I can I can go through my background a little bit, but I've spent a lot of time in e-commerce over the last 20 years, particularly in marketplaces, both as an operator and also as an investor in, in a bunch of different startups. I guess the most the most relevant and interesting thing I think is I spent a lot of time in the in the ticketing space and, and built a marketplace in Europe that was essentially a secondary ticket marketplace. You can think of us like the StubHub of Europe. We were called Get Me In, and we built that business up pretty quickly, and then ended up being acquired by Ticketmaster. And I ran the sort of Ticketmaster secondary ticket marketplace for a few years in Europe. And the thing that's really relevant about that is it's a marketplace. You know, you have buyers on the one hand that are looking to get tickets to events, and you have sellers that that have that inventory. But it's very much people know what they want to buy. They couldn't get tickets to their favorite concert or sports team when they went on sale. And, and it's a really high demand event and they know what they want to buy. And our, our value proposition was about getting them that ticket in a safe and cost-effective way. We did pretty well. And obviously the business grew. And a, a lot of the marketplaces that you look at are predicated on that. You have demand, you have supply, and you, you want to connect the supply and the demand. I always was thinking in, in the ticketing world, and this is, I think, an interesting analogy to where we are today with Top Adder. People don't talk about this often, but over half of tickets, and and this is in the pre-pandemic world, like when people were actually going to live events, over half of the tickets to most events never got sold. And you have lots of events out there that people don't know about and tickets that are literally the promoter eats and and the seat goes empty and, and nobody wins. I always thought there was a really big opportunity just to connect those empty seats with customers that didn't know about the event. Cause that's when you ask, when you do, you know, surveys in the ticketing world, you find out the number one reason that people don't go is they just didn't know that this event was happening near them. And that's different from what we're doing today, but it's, I think 
apropos because one of the things we look at is it's a much harder problem to solve to try to figure out what people want if they're not telling you exactly what they want in a search bar. But there's a much bigger opportunity at the end of that. And the value that you create is enormous because if you could find someone, tell them about an event they didn't know about, get them to that event, you know, they, they enjoy it. They're having a great time. They also spend money at the event that the promoter wouldn't have otherwise seen in the venue and the artists and all of that share. I think the same thing is true in retail. And so for us, this idea of focusing on products that people didn't necessarily know about or know that they wanted or knew that were available seems frivolous in some ways, but it's really not. It's really where I think a lot of the value can be created. And if you're actually generating demand versus just fulfilling that demand, I think you sit at a much more interesting part of the value chain and can build a really a really valuable business. And so we've sort of taken that as part of what we're trying to do at Top Hatter is really focus on how do we generate demand for products and, and services. Yeah. That's a really fascinating distinction, I, I think, because I think for so long retailers have just been like especially for storefronts right places with shelves and products are on the shelves and then they wait for people to take them off the shelves maybe they'll have a sale around them to you know accelerate that but you're trying to create a centralized place a community even to to bring people together to discover a new brand discover a new product so you're kind of the the conduit or the connecting point between consumers and, and these newer or, or undiscovered brands that are trying to get in front of consumers in a new way or, or in front of a new consumer base. So the brands that you partner with, are those largely like up and coming brands, DTC brands? I mean, what do they typically fall right now? Well, sometimes it's brands, but more often it's actually just products that people weren't aware of and deals that the consumer isn't aware of. So we run the gamut in terms of supply. We have sellers that may be interested in us for user acquisition to a new brand. We also have sellers that can manufacture products and are looking to test different things that they can get out the door you know, very quickly and provide great value to our customers. And then we also have liquidators that are literally, they have inventory, they just need to move right away. And, and the value proposition for the buyer is that they're just getting a really phenomenal deal. It's much like if you think about the offline world, if you think about like TJ Maxx or Ross or these treasure hunt like experiences, when you go in the door, you don't know what's going to be there. There's a little bit of effort involved. Like you sort of have to hunt through the racks and, and find, you know, something that might be interesting to you, but you're discovering these great deals that you couldn't get online or you couldn't get traditional retail experience. So it's, it's very much like that, where it can be a brand that's looking to acquire users or just the deal itself becomes really differentiated. That's great, Andrew. And what I find fascinating about, you know, the top hatter model and the insights that you're sharing around the inspiration or or what you're aiming to do from a, a consumer experience standpoint, you know, the reference to the treasure hunt type retail experience, QVC or HSN, relatively quote unquote, old school channels. I mean, they have, there's a lot of heritage there. They're not super high tech, although HSN and, you know, those types of brands have really evolved and augmented those digital capabilities, but there's history, there's heritage there. And that discovery, that excitement of the process, you know, is is coming to the digital realm. So I guess my question for you is in light of the situation that we're in now, more consumers going to digital, we're seeing e-commerce spike like crazy, largely because a lot of people are still not going to stores. But 
do you think that this current reality is going to accelerate the movement towards these more discovery driven digital experiences because you know consumers are just going to be hungry for that replication of what they would be getting in store yeah well i think the short answer is yes <laughs> the long answer is that there's some short term things happening and then there are some longer term things happening I and mean, i think in the short term a lot of digital businesses like ours have seen a big uptick in demand because people are stuck at home and they can't go to stores. And so there's like a, a disruption happening there, which is, I think, pretty pretty short term. But in the long term, this was already happening. People are already starting to move more to digital and less to physical. We, all, we saw it with utility retail for almost a decade where you know malls are closing and people are starting to shop more and more through Amazon and others. I think this has perhaps accelerated it maybe by even a couple of years in terms of how quickly people are adopting digital experiences. And I think it's going to stick because it was happening anyway. And it's in, in some ways, it's it's inevitable that if you're spending more time on your device or in the digital world, you're going to expect the discovery experiences to be there. So you talked about HSN as one of these examples. Like I think HSN or, or QVC, which is actually the, the parent company, they own HSN as well. They're two competitors, but they own both. I think it's a really good example because they started with home shopping. They actually are the number three, I think, mobile e-commerce player in the US today. But when you think about why are they so big on mobile, it's because a lot of people are watching TV and then they buy the the product on their phone from the couch. So to me, that's like a really good example of, of yes, they've had to build a mobile experience, but we think over time, as people spend more and more of their time just on mobile, they're out and about. A true mobile first experience is eventually going just like their experience on cable was really revolutionary at the time. And the experiences on on the internet have been revolutionary. I think a mobile shopping experience is also going to to win out. And so, yeah, today there is a a short-term disruption happening because the stores are closed. But I think this was already happening anyway. And we're just going to see it continue to people spend more time on on their phones and on their computers and, and shop that way from a discovery perspective as well. And looking at this, I, I guess, as someone who's in the industry, but also as a consumer, right? I mean, how would you benchmark mobility in terms of like retailer priority, actual execution? I mean, again, because you, your business is so mobile centered, how would you say the industry is stacking up overall in terms of designing these experiences? So they're not just seamless for consumers, but also memorable, right? I, I recall seeing just on, like study after study around app engagement being such a problem, right? Like people download apps, you know, quickly delete them or download them and just don't engage with them. So, I mean, what's your take and, and what do you think is kind of missing from mobile right now? Yeah, I think that's what I think this stat is like the average consumer, you know, download, like keeps one app a year. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. just, it's very, it's crazy. Very I guess I think a couple of things. First of all, mobile experiences are pretty good today in terms of efficiency. So when people first started shopping on mobile, there was a lot of like concern, like you, you're never going to buy, like you're never going to check out if you have to put your credit card into a mobile form. And especially for a more expensive purchase, you're never going to do that. People just aren't. They're going to go to their website and and do it there and research there. That, that's sort of been dispelled just as technology's improved, payments have gotten easier the smartphones themselves have gotten better. So it's easier to do a lot of that heavy lifting on a smartphone. So I think that that, like from an efficiency standpoint, mobile 
and retailers have really done a good job at making the mobile channel really work for them. I think where things lag a little bit and where we are trying to be one of the players filling that void is I think the experience on mobile is fundamentally different and people haven't necessarily succeeded yet at building experiences that are really unique to mobile and special because of that. And so like one really simple example is even though it's not hard today to search on mobile, users essentially don't search on mobile. They they browse. And so if you think about like just the way you consume content on mobile, whether it's like Instagram where you're flipping through images or Facebook newsfeed or even the way you get push notifications that tell you, you know, something's happening. Like it's really, you expect things to be pushed at you versus you're pulling the content that you want and searching for it. And so not a lot of retailers have been able to build those kind of push-based experiences that that work for consumers. And we've, we've tried to focus a lot on that. The other aspect of it, I think, is just fun and entertaining. And so one of the things that was true when the app stores first launched you know, a decade ago was that all of the top apps were games. It still is true today. Like All of the top downloaded apps, whether it's Android or iOS, they're all games. And then some, sometimes you'll see like, you know, Amazon or, or you'll see like a mess, messaging app. So like things pop up in there, but, it, but still, if you look at the top 20, it's dominated by games even today. And so I think there's something about that, that people have come to associate their smartphone with a kind of entertaining and fun experience. And so it doesn't mean that other experiences don't work on mobile, but we think a shopping experience that works on mobile is going to end up being pretty fun as well, not just a utility type experience. And so I think that those are the two paradigms that I think are really important. One is like the push-based versus search, and the other is just fun. The fun one is hard to always like you know measure. It's more of an, an emotional thing, but I think there really is something to the fact that a lot of today's winning mobile experiences just are pretty fun to use. And that's what I think a lot of retailers haven't necessarily been able to differentiate themselves on. Yeah, because I, I could imagine looking at it from the mobile team's perspective or, or the brand and marketing team's perspective, it's like, well, how do we know what type of fun is right for our audience? Which is a kind of funny thing to say. <laughs> and a lot of times it's at odds with the way they look at the world. So like a really simple example, most e-commerce companies look at conversion rate. You get this visitor and you want them to buy something. So whether you have like a 1% conversion rate, which is like the average across e-commerce or maybe like a 5% conversion rate because you've really done it a great job at optimizing your site to get someone through the checkout. That's like what retailers look at and they're trying to optimize conversion rate. For us, or take us us aside, but even for anyone like building a mobile experience or a game, you don't necessarily want someone to leave as quickly as possible and convert them right away. You're looking more at engagement and like, do they come back? How often do they come back each day or month or week? And if you're Amazon and someone has to come back like many times to, to buy that thing, that's actually a failure. So you look at that, like, I just want to get them to buy their thing right away and be done. For us, we actually look at like the fact that they're visiting as as the goal. And so if they come back many times, we, we think that's a good thing. So it's about engagement versus efficiency. And a lot of times they're at odds. So it's it's hard for a traditional retailer to think like, I don't want to sell something to this person right now. I want them to come every day and open my app because people don't think about the world that way from a, a retail perspective. They think someone's in the store. I want to sell them something before they leave. And so it's a little bit of a different mindset. It's actually much more like a gaming business, I think, because games do look at the world this way. They, they obviously want to monetize their audience, but their real value is like getting people to use it very frequently. And I think that's, that's what we're, we're aiming to do in, in shopping. 
Yeah. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that evolves or changes because, you know, as we were, you were talking about the store experience, like get them to buy as much as possible. Like now the conversation is how do we get them to do that and get them in and out <laughs> as quickly as possible now, especially like as, you know, store managers are trying to upholds, you know, new safety guidelines, you know, around how many people need to be in the store at a time. So I mean, this current situation kind of throws a whole other level of complexity into it. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how those KPIs shift. So maybe mobile is and, and digital is the way to dig into those deeper engagement metrics and opportunities, whereas the store may be, you know, we need to engage, but that efficiency component is going to be increasingly important there. So I don't know, there's no firm answer now, obviously, but it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, there's also a lot of things happening today. I don't know how relevant they are in the long run, but maybe they are. Maybe it changes the way people think about everything once they like, for example, people are trying things that they never tried before, whether it's online grocery shopping or whatever it might be that they have to. And that ends up developing some sort of habit that sticks with them over time. I just, I think it accelerates a lot of stuff, but. Yep. Accelerate is definitely a big word. There are some unique things happening today though, that I think are really going to affect retail more than, more than other industries. Yeah. So to that end, Andrew, I mean, obviously a lot of executives are trying to wrap their heads around, like you said, what change is short-term, what change is long-term and how they need to adapt and, you know, prepare for, for that long-term impact. So my question for you is, have you and the Top Hatter team learned anything new about your customers? Have there been any interesting shifts in terms of their behaviors, demands? I know we talked a lot about the core audience and the, and the overarching mission of your business, but there have there been any you know new developments that have required a second look or a pivot or anything? Yeah. So, so, so I don't know if there's been a pivot, but we certainly saw a huge shift in the types of products that people were most interested in on our platform, like I'm sure a lot of other marketplaces did. The nice thing about about what we do is because we're a marketplace and we're connecting buyers and sellers, the assortment changes all the time and, and sellers react to what the demand is in their the marketplace for. And even though it's not search-based, if a seller puts up a product and it generates a lot of interest, they know that. And so they know there's more of it. So we did a survey. We, we certainly know that buying preferences changed a lot. We saw certain categories explode on our platform and others get smaller. We also saw there was a more more interest in utility purchases than, than in the past for us. So stuff that we wouldn't normally sell. That, and this isn't surprising because we probably saw it in a lot of platforms, whether it be like toilet paper or household essentials. There's a huge spike in, in that kind of stuff as people's experiences changed. So we definitely saw those shifts in demand and also the shifts in supply because a lot of our sellers are marketplace sellers. They, they sell on different platforms and they source in different ways and they couldn't source the same products that they could have before the crisis. And so we saw their assortment changing as well. So in any marketplace, it's interesting because you have the two sides of, of it, the demand and the supply. And we just saw pretty big shifts on both of them very quickly. So it was it was interesting from a, just from a data perspective to see what was happening. I think in terms of like a pivot or in terms of like long term, what we think is really interesting is, again, I think I look at the the treasure hunt type retail experiences that I mentioned earlier, like the TJ Maxx's and the Ross's of the world. Those are really big businesses. And it's shocking to me that even today in 2020, 
they don't have websites. They don't sell online. They, I mean, they might have a web, TJ Maxx might have a website, but it doesn't account for any significant part of their business. And I think Ross actually literally doesn't have a website. And I think that there's reasons for that that are logical and they've done pretty well through, you know, the internet e-commerce, you know, revolution just through their stores themselves have actually done well without having a website. But I think if you look out, you know, 10 years from now, people are going to think that's crazy that you had to go in a store to get that kind of experience. And so I think if there's any pivot for us, it's just that we're going to, I think, go faster at trying to replicate that type of experience and that type of value proposition on your phone. Because nobody really has succeeded at it yet. And we think we're, we're positioned to do it. So yeah, I think that's one thing that we've certainly learned from this is there's if you if you don't have a path to go from retail to digital from like so physical world to digital, there's an opportunity for others to come in and take that from you. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, Andrew. This has been really fascinating. Again, I, I think just the business model of you know adding that discovery that that treasure hunt experience to digital, the emphasis on on mobile and, and where that's going. It'll be interesting to see how that space evolves. And it, it was really fascinating to hear what Top Hatter is doing. You know what you guys are are prioritizing to make that customer experience the best experience possible. But is there anything else that we haven't dug into yet today? I mean, around Top Hatter, where you guys are going, what we should be on the lookout for from you guys in the future? On the lookout for us. Well, we're always trying to... The nice thing about being in like a fun, discovery-oriented world, which we're in, is there's a lot of ways to differentiate or to try things and be exciting in a way that it's harder to do if you're if you're just trying to efficiently convert users through e-commerce. So I think you're going to see us try to do more types of formats, more types of content experiences in the app that get people coming back. I mean, one of the things that we've invested a lot in recently is building a kind of wallet infrastructure on Top Hatter so that you can get rewarded every time you come. And that adds money to your sort of bank account that you can spend on products on Top Hatter. You can there's all, all sorts of things you can do to earn more money and to top up your value. And most of them don't involve actually buying something. There might be like games that you can play or there might be, you know, refer someone and you can earn some extra cash. But I think this idea of like building a rewards platform into the discovery experience is really critical, again, because we're focused more on engagement than actually conversion. So we want people to come back all the time. And the more you can make it feel like you're actually building value by coming back repeatedly and the more true that that statement can be because you actually have a bank account that's showing you the value you've earned the longer people are going to retain with us so i think most of the things you'll see us do are around entertainment and rewards fascinating well i can't wait to see what's to come from top header again really fascinating business model great promise that you're trying to fulfill for for your shoppers so andrew thanks so much for uh, taking the time out to dig in with me and kind of share your take on what's happening in the industry and, and what the opportunities are it's truly fascinating thanks alicia i appreciate it thanks for listening to this episode of retail remix Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.